What kind of wine? Rosé. Nice. That's a good summer drink. I know. I had a dark red that was really yummy for the winter time, but I went through it. (laughs) You're like, that's long gone. Oh yeah. I took, when I had the bubble bath, I've been trying to do more baths lately, actually. Um, so I was trying to do one a week. I didn't, I haven't done one this week, but last week when I did my bubble, bubble bath, I drank the, that's when I drank the rest of the red wine. Nice. Drunk bubble baths. It's just so relaxing and I hate the cold. So I'm like, put me in a boiling bin of water and I'll be, I'll be good. <laughs> bin of water. Tub. Are you ready? Yeah. I meant for that. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> that beautiful Ooh. sound. Got my. Uh. My DC tonight. I love that. So welcome back to Why the Flick, guys. I'm Claire. I'm Elizabeth. And, and no, oh. I'm going to cut you off <laughs> because it's your birthday week. Not right now. It is. No. <laughs> we're recording in, but in the future. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, when this episode comes out, it'll be just a few days after my birthday. So I'm going to claim this as my B-Day episode. And that's a little bit of a hint as to why I picked this flick. But this week we are getting into Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) So this movie is very near and dear to my heart and my childhood. But in this episode, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Obviously, we're going to talk about Robin Williams and his incredible acting in this movie his method for improvisation is top notch. So we're going to get into that. We'll also talk about how this movie was kind of really progressive for its time in the fact that it helped destigmatize divorce. And obviously we're going to talk about all of the amazing scenes. There are so many funny ones. We're going to try to get through them all, I promise. And then our why the flick moments. So please enjoy. So Claire, you teased to part of this answer, but why mm. the flick did you choose this movie? Cause it's my birthday. <laughs> well, it's a few days after my birthday, but I'm claiming this, as I said, for my birthday episode. And I knew for my birthday, I wanted it to be something from the nineties because I am a child of the nineties. I actually looked into some movies that came out in 1990. That was kind of where I first started to to figure out what I wanted to to pick for this week. And so some of the other options that could have been today are Pretty Woman, Ghost, Mm. Edward Edward Scissorhands, all came out in 1990. So did Arachnophobia. But as I said last week, I spare you you from from watching that. Thank you so much. Um, I almost went with Awakenings. Have you ever seen that movie? No. So it has Robert De Niro and uh, Robin Williams in it. It's a really good movie, but that's when I realized, oh, Robin Williams totally like encompassed my 90s childhood. And so I was thinking back what Robin Williams movie did I really like as a kid and Mrs. Doubtfire came to mind. It came out in 1993. So it's still tracked for my nineties birthday theme, but yeah. So I picked this movie. 
Well, I'm super glad you did. Although Pretty Woman is another classic, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's anything like Mrs. Doubtfire. And even my father, who is like very, you know, Hollywood is a bunch of liberal trash and then like is uh-huh. anti-Hollywood and anti-movies. Um, he loves this movie. This is a movie that he'll watch like anytime that it's on. Um, and I think that's just what this movie does. It bridges, you know, it, it bridges age groups, mm-hmm. um, everything. So yeah, I'm glad you picked this. I hadn't watched it in maybe a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's so good. Every time it's on TV, I'm like, I'm going to tune in. I love watching this. I love this movie so much. It's it's definitely one of Robin Williams's best roles, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember watching this movie when I was little and I wished, I wished so much that I had a Mrs. Doubtfire. I just wanted, really, I was bougie and wanted a British nanny probably, but um, definitely like loved Mrs. Doubtfire. As I said, this movie is very near and dear to my heart. I find it very endearing, so funny. My best friend in high school and I would always quote the hello to each other, like, and we knew what we were talking about. And I think (laughs) also the ending always makes me cry, but even more so now since Robin Williams is passing. Um, But, you know, I was watching this back as an adult and I'm watching it from a critical I now and when I was watching it I think it's funny because I was like oh this is kind of weird if you think about it I know it's a comedy so don't get into it too much but I'm like this is a husband who is secretly pretending to be someone else and invading their privacy but I get it it's a comedy and I find it still funny um even even with all of that but yeah it's just interesting thinking back on it (laughs) yeah and I think there's a lot that this movie gets away with because of Robin Williams. Right. Yeah. I don't think anybody else could have done this role, but Robin Williams. Yeah. It's funny too, because apparently there are some re-edited versions of this movie. I think as far as the trailer goes on YouTube, where fans have turned it into a horror movie. It's hilarious I watched one last night and I was dying I was crying I'm gonna have to send it to you after this it's like they changed the music instead of it being uppity and bright and cheery it's like creepy and then they do these like slasher like cut frames it's yeah it makes it even more funny (laughs) yeah I have to see that because it yes it is kind of creepy when you actually look at the plot that's funny So speaking of the plot, I will give a brief summary of this movie, courtesy of IMDb, but it says, after a bitter divorce, an actor disguises himself as a female housekeeper to spend time with his children held in custody by his former wife. I also don't like how it says held in custody because that seems... um, Like held for ransom. (laughs) Like against their their will. Maybe this is a horror movie. (laughs) Um, so we have Chris Columbus in the director's chair and he returns to our podcast episode because he is the same director from Harry Potter, which we did a few episodes back. The first one he did, I think he directed the first two. Then we also have Randy Mayhem and wait, I'm sorry, Randy Mayhem Singer, three names. 
and Leslie Dixon, who wrote the screenplay. This is also based on a book by Anne Fine named Alias Madam Doubtfire, which I did not know this was a book. I had no idea. I was, I mean, as I'm watching it, like you said, you kind of, you're watching it with a more critical eye and I'm like, where did this story come from? Like whose brain did this come from? (laughs) And then that's how I I found out that it was based on a book and not just a book, but like a children's book. And I didn't Mm -hmm. like dive too deep into Anne Fine, but she seems like a really beloved and respected author in England. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was really cool. And now I kind of want to read the book. I had, I, I went to um, Amazon and read like the preview, the first few pages that they give you for preview. And like, it's written really well, obviously it's like yeah. an easy read, but I kind of want to read it. <laughs> I know I wrote in my notes must read. So yeah. I might, I might go get it on Amazon. Um, but if you read the description of the book. I mean, it really is like exactly the same. I don't know, you know, how, what differences there are actually between the book and the movie, but just like the, the plot and synopsis itself, it's like exactly the same. Yeah. I saw like the same character names, Daniel and Miranda are going through a divorce. It all was kind of similar there. I think there were a few differences, but generally speaking, it was kind of followed the same plot. Like you said, Yeah, so definitely I'll have to check that out. I also want to give a shout out to the makeup department. There's there were so many people involved. So just the makeup department as a whole, man, did so good. They apparently won an Oscar for best makeup too for this movie. And they should have. As I'm watching, I'm like, this is like he looks good. Like this is realistic. Now, if he was your father, um, would you recognize? something in the eyes, but even still, it was really good. Mm. Like he definitely passes for Mrs. Doubtfire. I was impressed. Yeah. So yeah, same. I mean, there, I, he did not look like Robin Williams whatsoever when she had the full garb on. And there is that one scene where Miranda looks at him and she's like, you look so familiar or something. And he's like, thinks that he's been caught but she she can't put quite put her finger on it yeah and she says you know feels like I've known you forever so I took it Mm -hmm. more as like not even necessarily like physically recognizing but like just something in the eyes you know how yeah the eyes are the the only like (laughs) yeah (laughs) like I think that's what she was feeling right I also want to give a quick shout out to the music. I don't know who picked the soundtrack for this, but the songs are so spot on. You have, and they all like are fit within the theme of Mrs. Doubtfire. So you have luck, be a lady, walk like a man, dude looks like a lady, which I am am really embarrassed to admit that I used to think the lyrics were do just like a lady, not dude looks like a lady, but I mean, that's not the worst like yeah, yeah. lyric mishap that I've heard. Right. Can, can I tell you my worst really quick? Oh, please do. I think I probably told you this before. Uh, so growing up, we ate dinner at the, at the table as a family every night and we had music oh, on. Yes. We always played mm-hmm. music. My favorite jam came on, loved me some Elton John. And so I started singing out loud. <laughs> But 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 bang me in the chest, which are not the lyrics. It's Benny in the Jets. <laughs> oh, bang me in the chest made sense. I don't know. So so do like a lady 
That's that's fair. <laughs> that's not bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you definitely win. You'd Thank win you. for Thank sure. You. I forgot that story. Thank you. <laughs> um, so moving on to the cast, we have obviously Robin Williams, who plays Daniel Hillard and Mrs. Doubtfire. There's also Sally Field, who plays Miranda, his ex-wife. And I love Sally Field. She's just so enjoyable to watch. Then there's Pierce Brosnan, which I always forget Pierce Brosnan's in this movie, but yeah. he plays Stu. He is so fine in this movie. He is. He looks good. He I is. feel like he looks the same <laughs> all these years later. Yeah. I, I don't think though, watching, I, I don't know if I realized this or repressed it, but I feel like I never knew that he and Miranda were old loves. Like, well, he was her old love interest. Um yeah, I remember picking up on that like in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably didn't when I was younger, but yeah, and I I think Stu gets a bad bad rap in this movie. See, okay, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, but I I think the movie does a really good job of not villainizing anyone. Yeah. I think you're meant to not like Stu because of we're following Daniel and it's from his like character perspective but Stu's a really nice guy and it would be one thing if Stu was like uh like not like interested in being a family man but he is genuinely wanting to be part of Miranda's family now some things he says I'm like "Mm, you shouldn't have said that like when he said someone has to be a father father figure um but I think for the most part Stu gets a bad rap yeah and I think like growing up when you're younger you because you're on Daniel's side Mm -hmm. so you kind of just naturally are already like anti-Stewart and then yeah some of the things that Mrs. Doubtfire um says Mm -hmm. about or to him you're like yeah he's the bad guy um Mm -hmm. but now we're older and we get it we're complicated (laughs) Uh, um, okay. And then we have all of the kid, uh, uh, kid actors. So there's Lisa, Jacob, Matthew Lawrence, one of the Lawrence brothers. I forgot he was in this. And then Mara Wilson, who I know from Matilda. Mm-hmm. Um, so they play Lydia, Chris, and Natalie. She is Natalie. What's that? What's her name again? The actress's name? Mara Wilson. Okay like painfully adorable in this movie oh I know the way that she talks and like over pronunciates words or tries to like she's working so hard for every word it's so adorable I think this was her first film too Mm. oh she killed it yeah and then I want to give a special mention to Harvey Fierstein who played Uncle Frank he is um, Daniel's brother and you want to know a little fun tidbit? Yeah, from please. My life? So I did see him in real life. I saw him in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway oh. Oh. Nice. way back when I was in high school. My orchestra trip took a visit to New York City and we had a night to go to actual on Broadway. And I was like in awe because like that's the guy from Mrs. Doubtfire and he seems matchmaker in this movie so I think it was serendipitous matchmaker 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 make me um I need to hear more about this orchestra trip later because oh okay sure adorable 
of what I can remember, um, I will share. (laughs) Deal. Okay. So obviously we've, we've talked about Robin Williams a lot. Robin Williams really did make this movie and I really want to get into his acting style and his method, which I think really speaks to why that he shines so much in this movie. So when I was taking my notes this week, there was a part where I was just like, how much of this movie is improvised by Robin Williams? And it's a lot. I don't know every single scene that was improvised, but they did kind of give Robin Williams free reign to do what he does best. And apparently he improvised so much that they had all sorts of different versions of this movie. There was a PG version, PG-13, and an R-rated version. So somewhere out there, there's an R-rated version (laughs) of the movie, but Chris Columbus says it will never be be released. But damn it, Chris. I know what a tease. So yeah, I mean, like I said, lots of improv went into all of the scenes that Robin Williams did. He apparently would play each scene script, each scripted scene, he would do a few different times. And then he was allowed to improvise, which is where some of like the funniest material came from. And he would improvise up to an hour sometimes. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're bringing on Robin Williams for a reason. And so of course, like you let him do his thing and do what he does Mm -hmm. best. Yeah. I would love to pick Chris Columbus's brain and talk to him about just what that was like directing that. Cause I imagine you're just like, just do you, just be but you just be Robin. <laughs> um, if you ever watch like some of his stand up or oh, even his, so like good. his interviews on late night, I mean, just a mile a minute. Oh the, yeah. The energy he has just nonstop. He's getting like, if he's on a late night show, like he's out of the chair, he's around the Mm -hmm. stage. Um, He's so animated. Yeah. Uh, Just truly um, a genius. unlike anything we've seen before. Truly. And I mean, there was a little bit this, a lot of what I had read came from IMDb trivia and then some interviews after, I think they had the 25th anniversary a couple years ago of the movie, but Columbus had used two to, he would use up two to three cameras, um, at a time because he was unsure what Robin Williams would come up with. So he wanted to make sure to capture every angle. And then, you know, I said, Robin Williams would improvise for up to an hour. So it made it really difficult when they came down to editing it because they just had so much to use. And I can't, I, I wouldn't want that job because I would want to keep everything. And then it would be you know, a five hour long movie, which I mean, I'd watch, I would watch Robin Williams act for five hours, probably, you know, it's, that's just um, me. it's funny because Chris Columbus did the same thing on Harry Potter with the multiple cameras, mm. because he was working with kids that can be kind of yeah. unpredictable, or they would like one mm-hmm. kid, like, you know, would get tired in the scene, but it would be a great performance from another kid. So they'd have to cut them together um, using multiple cameras. So that's, that's just interesting to hear that he used that technique before then. And also I um, uh, was checking Chris Columbus's IMDb credits. Um, and it's like, he, it's like, he's always had a good year. Like he's just been, he has like 22 credits since the late eighties, which maybe isn't a ton of directing credits, but like 
before Mrs. Doubtfire, he had Home Alone 1 and 2. And then after mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire, um, there, there were a couple in between, but then obviously you get to Harry Potter, um, the first one, then the second one. Um, so right. he's just Chris Columbus, man. He's, he's killing it. I was just looking him up on IMDb to see what else he had directed. And his last one, uh, oh, he did, he did Pixels. <laughs> when was that oh, yeah. Adam Sandler movie? Um, oh, The Christmas Chronicles Part 2. Yes, which I haven't seen, I don't think. I saw the first one. Um, he also did yeah. at least one other movie with Robin Williams, uh, Bicentennial Man. By- yes. Oh, another really great, great uh, movie. I haven't seen it. Uh, oh, you haven't? Well, no. we're going to watch it on the okay. pod. Okay. Um, okay. So anyway, we got sidetracked. Uh, back to Robin Williams. So obviously he's an incredible voice actor on top of his improv. His charisma is really unparalleled. So obviously his role in this movie would be to play a character who is a voice actor. And that's what Daniel is trying to do. And so I looked into how they pieced together the Mrs. Doubtfire accent. And so from what I read, it was inspired by Bill Forsyth, who is a Scottish director. I don't know if I'm saying that last name correctly, but I think they worked together on a film, Robin Williams and, okay. and this guy. So he pulled from that. And then he also threw in a little bit of Margaret Thatcher and Julia Child, which I could 100% yes. get Julia Child. He even watches Julia Child when he's trying to oh, um, he learn how to cook. And I was like, oh, it's funny because Mrs. Doubtfire mm-hmm. kind of sounds like Julia Child. Um, can I just uh, make a note about his face? You just know, his I, face in general. Just his face. I love a good face. And, yeah. um, you know, jokingly said before, the uh, eyes are the window to the soul, or whatever the hell the saying is. Um, it's so true. And it's so true with Robin Williams. I feel like his eyes, his face, it's so just like safe and warm and inviting. Mm-hmm. And I just think it speaks to, you know, just how beautiful of a person and, and talent he was. And then again, just practically speaking, it helps you pull off a movie like this because mm-hmm. you just like immediately adore and, and, and trust him. So just, just a great face. Great face. Yeah. There were interviews I was reading from that people who acted with him on this movie after the fact, and just some of the stories that they shared about how he would kind of talk with them one-on-one and never like talk down to him. He was always on their level and giving them advice. Um, they just had so many great memories from working with him and I'm sure it was a really special experience. Yeah. I saw that, um, the older daughter, uh, Lydia, yeah, that, Lydia. um, she said that he was also really open about mental health mm-hmm. and would talk to her about that. And she, attributes that to being open about it herself I think she's also like a I don't know if she's a therapist but she works in the mental health arena now um so yeah it's really cool yeah definitely making an impact and the last thing I wanted to talk about was just how he got dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire so the makeup alone would take about four and a half hours each day and it wasn't like the 
prosthetic, you know, mask that we see on the camera, it's actually made up of about eight separate pieces that they would have to apply. But he also then described the bodysuit as, and I quote, made out of like spandex and beans. It was like walking, it was like a walking beanbag chair. Kind of looks like it. It did. <laughs> it looks it like did. it too. You know, I was wondering like, could something like this, could someone actually pull it off in real life? Mm-hmm. Um, you just answered my question. No, because yeah. it's not just like one piece, the mask. Um, mm. Plus obviously you have to like, blended in anyway but um, right but yeah it's I guess it was it was multiple layers and pieces so you couldn't have those those like those scenes where he was changing back and forth but yeah that would not be like there were points where the mask would come off and I was like how does that look like that when it's on his face that is not possible well call me a sucker because I believed (laughs) Robin Williams sold it to me (laughs) But you said you wondered if um, people would believe that, you know, this disguise in real life and Robin Williams would walk around San Francisco in yeah. this outfit. I mean, how, I, yeah, how the hell are you going to tell who the hell's going to yeah. be like, oh yeah, no, that's Robin Williams. That's Robin Williams. No, Great no way, way to go out and not have the paparazzi follow you. Yeah. It just takes four and a half hours of makeup. Yeah. yeah. But, Only four and a half hours and you'll be good. Yeah. So moving on, before we talk about all of our favorite scenes, I do want to highlight what this movie is about, which is about divorce. And, you know, I don't think I knew this until recently, even just researching this movie, how really progressive this movie was for its time. So in the 1990s, divorce was still stigmatized and it wasn't really until I mean, I think it's still stigmatized to a certain extent, but it's become more acceptable in our 2000s era. And for historical context, so divorce rose in the 1970s because of the of the no fault divorce option. So that became um, an option for families. So obviously, in the 70s, we see a big spike. Also, it kind of carried through into the 80s. But then by the 1990s, it started to drop back down because more families were being encouraged to stay together for the kids. And a lot of the sentiment was more so geared on how to make marriages work better. There was also a narrative being pushed by conservative groups about the need for nu- you know nuclear family and restoring family values. So you have all of that happening. And then in the midst of it all in 1993, you have Mrs. Doubtfire coming out. And it was kind of a big deal because it's one of the earliest times where divorce was being normalized. It was saying divorce is acceptable. So I found that really fascinating to to read. I mean, when I watched it, it, I didn't, you know, as a kid, you don't really pick up on that. But later on as an adult, I was like, oh, wow, this must have been really, I mean, I don't think they were trying to make a statement, but they made it nonetheless. I actually think they were, and we can talk more about it later because of the the last thing that we see in here in this movie. Mm -hmm. When that happens, I'm like, no, I think they are actually trying to make Mm. a statement here. And I'd be curious to know if, you know, if that's, um, I think it is actually the case in the book um, because there's, I have a quote from Anne Fine um, 
this was when it was something happened with the book. It like became a penguin classic, I think. And so it was getting it more mm-hmm. attention again. Anyway, she said, so many people of all ages love this book. I think that's because it deals so honestly with a very real family in a very difficult situation. It doesn't try to hide the problems of separation and divorce. It faces up to the ugly emotions that can so easily surface when the happy and settled life everyone in the family had hoped for hits the rocks. Um, So, I mean, I don't know if like when she wrote the book, she set out to write a book about divorce necessarily, but I think um, certainly it had to be at at the forefront. Um, my memory of the movie, at least as a kid though, was that they got back together at the end. Like I, I I remembered it as it was like a happy ending, which then must mean they got back together or they're going to get back together. Like that was hinted at. It's very clear that they don't. Um, Mm -hmm. and I really appreciated that more this time. Yeah. And it's cool to see that maybe like, you know, I didn't notice it. I don't come from a, um, from divorced parents. So I, that's probably why I didn't pick up on it when I was younger. But I think if you did have divorced parents, you absolutely did pick up on it. And I'm sure there there are anecdotes from the actors of people coming up to them still and thanking them and saying when they were kids, they helped seeing that movie helps them kind of navigate their parents' divorce. So, you know, who knows how many kids they helped with that. Yeah, there's a scene where Mrs. Doubtfire says marriage can be such a blessing and then Miranda replies, so can divorce. And I feel like that was really what the movie was trying to to say and convey. And we see that journey play out. You know, in the beginning, Daniel is very turned off by the idea of divorce, but then by the end, he's he's realized it's what's best for his family. There are also, I mean, there are a lot of lot of scenes that are really specific to this when you look at kind of like the intimate side of divorce so just like getting to get to see a look inside what divorce going through divorce is actually like for everybody involved Um, there's a part where the kids are over at Daniel's apartment for the first time very like early on in the movie and Natalie says can't you just tell mom you're sorry and which is so heartbreaking but I think this scene in particular shows how hard it can be for parents to navigate how do they talk and refer to each other around their kids when they're divorced. And obviously in this scene, it's played very comedic because Daniel says he'd hate to think Miranda came down with amoebic dysentery, which is basically when you have diarrhea till you die. And Natalie's like, why would you want mommy to die? (laughs) And, you know, I think it does normalize it's normal to feel resentment and a lot of parents don't know how to talk about their ex-spouses around their kids. So, um, I definitely picked up on, on that. And then later, you know, Daniel says, you're my goddamn kids too, which Natalie repeats back to Miranda. And it was definitely a whoops moment. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that. Um, the book starts out with this scene. It's actually like they're having tea, not dinner. Uh, and the dysentery line is in there too. Um, oh my so gosh. again, I'd be interested to see how many, cause I would have, I would have guessed that that was maybe, um, improvised somewhat just cause he lists like a bunch of things. Um, but it looks like it was, it was pulled mm. right from, from the book. But yeah, especially when, you know, like his character, Daniel, like he's super close with his kids. Yeah. And so sometimes I think that means like your guard is down and you want to talk about your life. Uh, and it's hard to censor when like 
when you're going through a divorce and it's such a big part of your life and so difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't envy people who have to navigate that and, you know, watch what they say in front of their kids. It just felt very real because I think a lot of parents who go through divorce are faced with that kind of problem. And, you know, especially if it's not an amicable thing and if, you know, other factors are involved, it can be really hard to know how you talk about your ex-spouse to your kids. So I liked that scene, how it showed it there. There's also another scene. And I think this is kind of the most we really get as far as the look inside the divorce because uh, Miranda's talking about it very openly with Mrs. Doubtfire in the kitchen. And um, it's kind of the first time that Daniel is finally listening to Miranda and hearing it from her side. So Miranda goes into how, you know, she's had so many sleepless nights or she would have nights where she would cry herself to sleep. She didn't like, she didn't like who she was with and she was with him you know, she turned into this horrible person and she didn't want to see her kids like that. And then she never told Daniel because he didn't like to talk about anything serious. So, you know, I just, I appreciated that scene too, because we get to hear it from her side. As I think too, in the movie, you, you are kind of like Miranda's bad and not like you're, I think that's not the case and maybe not everyone would think that, but I feel like you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It kind of teeters on that. Um, yeah. That as if she might be the villain. Like she's think, the fun sucker. Yeah. yeah. And I think the movie does a good job of not um, villainizing her, but I was going to say the same thing that hearing it from her perspective and hearing her talk about how it turned her into a person that she didn't want to be and that she didn't want her kids to see um, definitely makes you understand her, her experience and her, her side of things. Mm-hmm. And Sally Field was going through a divorce while filming mm. this movie and mm-hmm. Robin Williams around this time. And then Robin Williams, it had said Robin Williams also drew on his divorce for some scenes. So, you know, I, I would find that interesting that Sally Field in particular was going through this at the time. And kind of, I don't know if she used that in her acting, but I yeah. found it kind of interesting. I wonder what that was like. to make a movie about something that you're going through right and apparently there were a few more dramatic scenes focused on the effects of divorce they were they were deleted um but regardless I think the movie really resonated with a lot of people at the time who you know felt like they had to stick it out but seeing this movie I feel like in some way validated their feelings and then it showed that divorce is okay and your family will be okay even after divorce um there's a quote really quickly i just want to leave off with but at one point they had toyed with daniel and miranda possibly getting back together in the end and in regards to them staying separated in the end singer who is who was one of the screenwriters she said quote It would have not only have done a disservice to that intent, but it would leave kids in the audience with false hope. Just because parents fail as a married couple doesn't make it acceptable to fail as co-parents. I'm so proud that in 1993, we had a message that says there are all kinds of families, and that includes families where the parents were no longer married. Amen. And I think that's the other difference with other movies that might also portray divorce in the Mm nineties is that a lot of them still end up with 
the couple getting back together. Um, yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I think that's significant that that's not the case here. Definitely. Okay. Let's get into some scenes because okay. all the scenes are amazing to talk about. We're going to kick it off at the beginning because where else would we start? In the beginning. In the beginning. So Daniel is just coming off of losing another job. He's, a, as I said, he's a voice actor. Um, and so he's kind of turned down another voice acting gig out of principle, which I can um, definitely value and respect. So he picks up the kids from school and suggests they throw a birthday party for his son, Chris, but he was not supposed to have a birthday party because he'd been getting bad grades. And Daniel says, mom won't be home for another four hours or something to that effect. And so they throw the birthday party, but this is no ordinary birthday party. It's pandemonium. This is what my birthday party should be. It's a perfect tie-in. You want farm animal? You want a mobile petting zoo? Absolutely. A little Shetland pony in the kitchen. Not really. I don't want that, but um, yeah, there's like loud music playing. Although I do love the song jump around. And I think that this movie iconicized that movie, or I don't know how you say it, but I definitely look, like, I don't know if that's a word, but it sounded great to me. So like, just roll with it. I was impressed. Ooh, nice. Nice. I tricked you. Um, I could have just made up a word. I'm not sure, but yeah, like there's the petting zoo and all the while I was watching this, I just kept thinking, where are these kids? Parents all there's so many kids here. Yeah. Where do they come from? Where are their parents? where is the person that's actually responsible for these animals? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like well, I, I had a question. Oh, sorry. No, go on. I was going to say, cause I first thought was this has got to be violating like city ordi- ordinances or something. And then you see the cop later and I'm like, okay, for sure. But like, they need to be going after the guy running or woman, whatever, uh, running mm-hmm. the mobile petting zoo. Like it's not up True. to Daniel to regulate these animals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That person should be held accountable. Like they should know better. Where are they today? (laughs) Have they, have they served their time? I would hope so. Um, also in recent years, I don't know if you've seen this, but like through social media, through TikTok, I feel like there has been a surge in justice for Miranda because like we said, I think she is supposed to be perceived as very like serious but at the same time she's a working mom and she's coming home to a house party and a pigsty and it's not like only a pigsty it's not like a regular birthday party because there's a pony in her dining room so yeah eats the cake that she yeah that she brought yeah okay so on one hand look kids have to face consequences for things Mm -hmm. but don't cancel the kid's birthday party that's just like a step too far but at the same time, for Daniel to totally undermine their mother, disregard right. her and go over her head, that's not cool. And not I cool. kind of like, she brought, she brought that cake home, which to me mm-hmm. felt like, oh, well, maybe she's going to let him actually have a party or something. Yeah. Why would she bring a cake? But she didn't get that chance because mm-hmm. they well, she, it up. Right. Well, she says later when they're arguing 
you know, I, you always try to do things 10 times bigger than me. I bring home a cake and some presents. And then you, I don't know what she says. You have the San Diego zoo, I think is what she, she goes on about, but I think this scene felt the most visceral to me, especially watching it back as an adult. And I don't remember it being as sad when I was a kid um, because this is where Veranda finally says I want a divorce. And I think this is a fight that a lot of kids and adults can relate to. You know, you have Miranda saying you get to have all the fun and I get whatever's left over. And then, you know, he says, oh, you chose a career. And I was at that point like, hell no you did not just say that yeah and I didn't remember that and that's really only that line and I was a little worried that it was going to be a bigger part of the story and that she was going to be made like shamed essentially for having a career but it was really Mm -hmm. only that line that when I heard it it was like "Mm -mm, don't go there (laughs) and her like Sally Field's reaction in the scene where she just screams I have no choices oh like it just like was so good and so it felt so real and then you know she says it's finally over you know they've been trying to work through things for 14 years it's too late for family therapy which I feel like is also something maybe in the 90s not really talked about as far as getting family therapy goes but you know Daniel says we should we could go on a trip and I would think this always, this quote from Miranda always stuck with me where she says our problems would be waiting for us right when we got back home, essentially, and saying trips and vacations can't solve every problem that a family has. Um, So I really like that. And then, you know, she eventually says they've grown apart and they have nothing in common. And Daniel says, sure they do. They love each other. And Miranda like won't say it back. And then she, she asks for a divorce really sad yeah brutal. Mm. brutal yeah but just like we've you know only really been with this couple for a few minutes but to me it's like very clear like eh, this is mm. already on on the brink of divorce and this ha- this yeah. is probably for the best right so at this point like full custody has been given to Miranda and Daniel has visitation, but the judge is giving Daniel three months to, you know, create a suitable home for himself and the kids get a job. And then he can be granted joint custody. And Daniel was really hurt by this because as their father, he's been with them every day. And I get, I really, I get why the judge decided this because he needs to do these things in order to show that he can be an adult and be responsible, a responsible parent. It's just a shitty situation because, you know, three months is a long time for him. And meanwhile, Miranda is trying to make things work at home and she needs a housekeeper. So she's going to go place an ad in the newspaper, which do you remember when that was a thing? I, look, I was always surprised working for a newspaper, how many people still placed mm-hmm. ads or classifieds in the newspapers it's it's a generational thing some people still reference that a lot I saw something say like this wouldn't happen nowadays him like changing the number because everything's basically I mean you would go on Facebook and be like anybody know any good housekeepers so it's true nowadays you couldn't get away with it but Dan he could uh, I'm sorry he could catfish her though basically like <laughs> create a fake profile if it's on oh, facebook a mrs doubtfire profile mrs doubtfire in the modern era 
Yes. Catfishing. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So Daniel hatches a plan very quickly. I might add that, you know, he's going to change the phone number and then we get this montage of all of these, you know, incredible voice acting things from Robin Williams. He has all the phone calls for the nanny ad. He, you know, does this. And then they're all like meant to really just bring Miranda down and yeah. feel absolutely hopeless and desperate <laughs> to the point where then when Miss he calls back as Mrs. Doubtfire, she's like, oh, what a relief. And is so desperate that she will you know, or at least so run down that she's just happy to hear a nice British charming voice. I will not do a British accent. I almost <laughs> broke out, but, um, but yeah. And then I also, I don't know if I really recalled how he picked Mrs. Doubtfire's name. Like I knew he looked at a newspaper, but I didn't yes. know that the article was police Doubtfire was accident. And I wanted to be like, wait, what was that story? Yeah, got arson going on somewhere. Mm-hmm. That wasn't an accident. So then Daniel visits his brother, who is a makeup artist. So um, you can kind of piece together that his brother is going to help him out with this disguise. Uh, Daniel asks, could you make me a woman? Which I love. And then um, what did he Frank say? Goes, oh, God, what did he say? He said, um, Oh, honey, I thought she, not, I thought you never asked. It's something like that. Wait, did I write it down? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, he just says, he says, honey, I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, he just <laughs> brings him inside. I, I loved that moment. Yeah. Then we have this montage of all the disguises that, that they come up with for Dana, which I think is really just for us as the audience to see and enjoy. Yes. Yes. I mean, because it's allowing Robin Williams to have a lot of fun and do what he does, but I also think it has a practical use Mm. in that when we see all the, cause they kind of, um, each disguise escalates to where there's like not much makeup. There is no latex. And you're like, that's clearly Robin or clearly Daniel. Um, and then it takes a step up and it's a little bit more of a disguise and then a little bit more until you get to Mrs. Doubtfire. And I think that allows you to appreciate even more how good and how believable the Mrs. Doubtfire disguise mm-hmm. is. Cause now you, you have things to compare it to where you could still tell like, Oh, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's Daniel. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know if that was intentional, but I think it actually works like for the story in that way and it's also just amazing for us to watch yeah well and also none of the other you know disguises that they came up with looked like mrs doubtfire like yeah none of them i was like this that's why i was like this is purely for you know their fun or like for us to be able to see True. and I think in some some part what you're saying is, is right but like none and those disguises are so terrible you can definitely tell it's still Daniel just with a wig and heavy makeup um there's a part where Daniel says what about Joan Collins as an in, uh, inspiration for a disguise and Frank goes oh I don't think I have the strength <laughs> died <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just like I didn't get the reference when I was younger, I didn't even really get it now, but I looked up, you know, who she was and I was like, yeah, that's, that slaps. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they end up going with the prosthetic mask 
and we see bits and pieces of what the look is going to be, but not the whole look until the next scene, which I love that they didn't reveal Mrs. Doubtfire's yeah. look right away, only the back of his head. Um, so I really liked how they saved that for when Miranda and the kids, you know, see Daniel for the first time as Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, it's a really good reveal because again, once you do see Mrs. Doubtfire, you're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of scary how you can be turned into another person with some plaster, fake teeth, and a wig. Terrifying, actually. Kind of wonder why more people <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I mean, people do. They'll go on shows and they'll com- they'll like completely change their look and they'll like. I don't know what they end up doing. Yeah. Like- I feel like sorry. <laughs> <Directed> <laughs> you. No, I, got lo- I got lost in thought. I'm like, why don't bank robbers do this? Ooh. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess that they probably don't need to go that far, but like, cause you could just effort. put like a mask on, but you could really mm-hmm. throw investigators off the scent if they're like, oh, that is clearly, that is a 70 year old woman. Mm-hmm. And then they'll never find you. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> cause you're a 40 year old man. So uh, just just giving some tips to the criminals <laughs> that's what I'm here for I secretly not secretly love a good bank robbery or art heist mm. or diamond Ooh. theft love those like Ocean's Eleven were you yeah. into that I love yeah. that movie yeah but I like the real life stories oh I see I yeah. see you okay I like the real shit I like <laughs> You like the total devastation of trauma. Eh, no, it's just like, you know. I'm like, I just like George Clooney and, and Brad Pitt. <laughs> no, I like the real shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so one, this is one of the funniest scenes that I think is in the entire movie. And so Mrs. Doubtfire ends up, you know, getting the housekeeper job and Daniel is walking home to his apartment. And as he is walking up to his door, he bumps into Mrs. Selner, who is his supposed to be his court liaison checking in on Daniel. And, you know, he has kind of a flub where he looks at her as Mrs. Doubtfire and goes, Mrs. Selner. And so he get, kind of goes away as Mrs. Doubtfire that he knows her. So he has to pretend to be as Mrs. Doubtfire, he's pretending to be Daniel's sister. Right. And the rest that unfolds is such pure comedy. Yes. <laughs> Classic, great. legendary comedy. I, I yeah. love this. I'm so excited every time the scene comes on. Yeah. Basically, it's a whole back and forth of Daniel changing in and out of the Mrs. Doubtfire outfit. And for one, like we talk about, obviously, Robin Williams's ability to improvise is great. And that feeds into Daniel's ability to improvise, which is so impressive because he comes up with this whole backstory. He says, she's my half sister. My father flew for the English during the war and met an English woman in London. And then his sister was the fruit of their passions. It all sounds very believable. I mean, totally. um, but then he eats his words because he says so much that she makes a great a uh, cup of English tea that Mrs. Selner is like, well, I would really like one of that or, you know, a cup of that. And so he has to go back and change. Yeah. Just like Mr. Selner or Mr. Mrs. Selner, <laughs> read the room. 
Like you are, you are there basically checking on a grown man and to see if his house is suitable for his children. Don't be asking for tea. Don't put them (laughs) out like that. Like they don't want you here. Also, I miss or uh, Mrs. Um, Daniel really could have been like, she's in the shower. She just chopped in the shower and just like turned on the shower or something, you know, and could have yeah made up yeah. something. She's yeah. not around anymore. Or Mrs. Doubtfire could have just said, well, I guess that would that would have looked. You can't do that because then if he wasn't there for the scheduled visit, that would be points against him. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, yeah true. That's, that's true. But then we wouldn't have so many gold. No. Yeah. So, you know, his mask gets knocked out of the window and subsequently run over by a truck. And so he only has the bodysuit and his wig and he makes the joke. I look like Norman Bates and then goes and hides in the kitchen and is trying to make tea while saying, I need a face. I need a face. He's looking around. He's trying to find things to cover up you know, what he looks like. And so he opens, this is the best part. So he opens up the fridge and plops his entire face into cake frosting, which is such genius. It is. And it, it's good insight to how brilliant Daniel is because I think other people in that situation would be like, well, fuck, I'm fucked. Like, I don't have my, my face. Like there's, there's no way around this. I don't have my face. Um, but he immediately knows like, okay, Yeah. Yeah. And then this is where we get the iconic hello quote, which is so good. And so he passes it off as his moraine mask. And I did write down the ingredients. So if anybody wants to make one and see how this goes, I will not, but you're more than welcome to. So it has egg whites, creme fraiche, powdered sugar, vanilla, and a little touch of Adam, which I was like, is that an Adam's apple joke? I couldn't quite tell what a little touch of Adam meant. And I turned on subtitles, so I know it's Adam. It's Adam, A-D-A-M? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a I have no touch idea. Of Adam. So I thought maybe he was making a joke like Adam's apple. Or yeah, or like. Or maybe it's a British thing. I don't know, but he's also oh, not British. It's, so. it's probably a British thing. No, but Mrs. Doubtfire mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah um british people everywhere please translate please for tell us. us if this is <laughs> if this is something in your country so then you know all of like the mass cake frosting is like dripping off of his face and plopping into the cup of tea and he's like oh there's another one. Oh, do you like cream or do you like whatever he says it's so good apparently this whole scene was improvised the icing melting off of his face was not supposed to happen but because of the heat that was on you know from the um, light sources it just naturally did it and so robin williams went with it good that's on him so funny great scene it, yeah. it does and it's such a, like an uncomfortable part of yeah. the scene like in a good way um and i did notice this time like you could tell it really is melting. Yeah. Like you oh, yeah, can tell like, that he's hot and it's like, it's actually sliding off. And that's not like it was like forced off. Um, she's like, I'm like a Yeti or something. And she's like, I'm just going to get out of here. Yeah. And, or he, um, says that. And so, yeah, it was so good. Amazing. Beautiful scene. I love yep. it. Yep. Um, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of really special moments too that happen throughout the movie, but I think we're going to save them for after these, these two other parts. So we're going to skip 
skip ahead to the birthday dinner and Mrs. Doubtfire reveal, which is probably like, honestly, the best scene of the entire movie for me, um, minus the ending, which I do love. But essentially, Daniel has agreed to go to Miranda's birthday dinner as Mrs. Doubtfire. But he also is supposed to have a meeting with Mr. Lundy, who is his boss, and he's going to go talk about his career. It could be a really good opportunity for him. Um, that And it's supposed to be same night, same time, same restaurant. So it's such a bad plan. It's so bad. <laughs> As I was watching, so uh, Miranda's inviting Mrs. Doubtfire. She really wants her there at her birthday dinner. Um, and initially, I was like, just say no. Just like, say no. just say like you have something, but it actually does a good else. job of, cause she does Mrs. Doubtfire tries to get out of it, mm-hmm. but Miranda keeps pushing. And then we also get a scene where Daniel goes to, um, that guy's like office, his, Secret- his assistant, yeah. yeah, his assistant yeah. trying to reschedule, but he's like booked for two, three months or something. Um, and, and, and that was a very quick scene, but I thought that was important to make this birthday dinner chaos all believable and yeah and like to earn that scene so a small thing that I really appreciated I just would have as Mrs. Doubtfire like called that day and been like I have a stomach bug I'm so sorry can't make it and it would have solved everything Mm -hmm. but then it does that doesn't doesn't pan out that way so First off, Mrs. Doubtfire makes them sit in the smoking section, which remember when they had smoking sections in restaurants? Sure what a do. Time. Sure do. What a time. Mm, breathing in that nicotine <laughs> as oh, you eat. Yeah, over your filet. Yeah. And like the, I don't, the smoke is all in the same building. Yeah. So yes. what was the point? There's like, that? you know, maybe a partition at most, but yeah, I, um, Cause my dad was a smoker growing up. And so we would always mm-hmm. sit in the smoking sections mm. and that's just wild. Yeah, definitely. Something I don't miss from the nineties no. no. for sure. So Mrs. Doubtfire keeps making excuses to leave the table so that, you know, he can go change out of his disguise in the bathroom. And honestly, the effort Daniel went through to do this, he is wearing a suit underneath the bodysuit yes. in order to big chain and I'm like are you not sweating and absolutely dying under that distance had had to be yeah in real life and as oh yeah uh, the character but yeah man that's a that's dedication I liked mm-hmm. um one of the um when Mrs. Doubtfire is excusing herself because she has to take medication and Miranda's like oh there's water at the table and Mrs. Dalfire says something like oh I can't take it orally dear (laughs) that is amazing oh just like uh (laughs) so good it's only other one other way in (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's another like really great part in this dinner scene where so Stu gave Miranda a bracelet for her birthday and then um Miranda has to take Natalie to the bathroom and then the kids go look other kids go look at a dessert cart and so it's just Mrs. Doubtfire and Stu at the table which there's been contention the whole time between the two of them and in this scene Mrs. Doubtfire is being very sexually suggestive to Stu 
and I wrote down like there's so many good lines from this like clip so I wrote down all of the things that he said he goes and it's all innuendos so he goes sink the sub hide the weasel park the porpoise all of these I've never heard a bit of the old humpty dumpty little jack horny rumple foreskin and my personal favorite the horizontal. sorry I missed that <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> sorry it's so good um and then my personal favorite the horizontal mambo yes. I loved so much. And then he also references that Miranda has a power tool in the bedroom <laughs> that I'll have to compete with. Um, this more- is so you mentioned the the rated R cut. I heard yeah. it was this. I think Pierce Brosnan in an interview um, on Conan. I think he talked about this scene and like mm-hmm. how much worse it gets <laughs> and and the oh, stuff I'm that sure. didn't make it into the movie. Yeah. Well, then he goes. Then he says that Miranda has crabs and says, I hope you brought the cocktail sauce. And I was just, that was too far, too (laughs) far. (laughs) How did they not like realize this as kids? It's so funny how much they get like by you as children. Imagining taking my kid to see this and I hear (laughs) rumple foreskin. (laughs) What the fuck? Oh my God. So good. That's amazing. Um, Okay. So Daniel also, I think what really fucked him up was that he drank three double shivas. Shivas. I don't know what that is. I I thought it was a lot of, yeah. Scotch maybe. I don't know. Maybe a lot of, so he gets, drinks a lot of alcohol and gets wasted, (laughs) which did not go in his favor because then he gets to get, and he starts to get real sloppy. Yes. Well, little stumbly. Yeah. He ends up going back to the table two times first time he smells like perfume and he has lipstick on and he kind of passes it off like he made out with one of the like the hostess or somebody um in the back and so then the next time he forgets that he's in the mrs doubtfire and just sits down and can you imagine you're like can I help you? And then you realize it's Daniel and oh my God. I but yeah. Doesn't he, um, as Mrs. Doubtfire with his, uh, boss, the station owner or whatever, um, he doesn't, he just sit down and then he says something like how to piss like a racehorse. And <laughs> so he's dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire in his male voice, <laughs> drinking and talking about how he had to piss like a racehorse. And, yeah. and the guy is just like, what? <laughs> Daniel and then and he plays it off so well he's like you have a Janaya Doubtfire your new host of your tv show which he does eventually get don't know how that that played (laughs) out um yeah I mean crazy so okay something else that happens in this scene that we find out is that uh Stu is very deathly allergic to pepper seems like a terrible thing to have to be allergic to no that's like everything Um, oh I'm sorry okay there is there is one more thing I want to bring up before this point that I like put in my notes but there's a part at the table when uh he's back with the family and his teeth fall into the wine glass (laughs) and he says he says carpe dental sees the teeth and I just uh, especially since I've seen um, Dead Poets Society now, I get the reference and I was just like, that's amazing. Apparently to like the 
actors didn't know that was going to happen only Robin Williams did and so their reaction was very genuine like his teeth fell out oh it's so good and then he has Stuart like help him get, get it out it's just like not necessary Make a pin. yeah <laughs> oh a spoon good idea <laughs> um anyway I just I had to add that in there so back to Stu um deathly allergic to to uh pepper and so in the midst of Mrs. Doubtfire, Daniel running back and forth. Somehow he had time to sabotage Stu's dinner mm-hmm. and put a heaping amount of pepper into it. Like so much so that I, it looked very obvious that it yeah. had pepper on it. Yes. I was also like, is this attempted murder? <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Just, just, just checking. Just wanted to, to make sure. Um, so Stu eats it and starts to choke on the shrimp. So Mrs. Doubtfire gives Stu the Heimlich. And I think this might've been one of those things that got cut because when they were filming this, apparently Robin Williams really tried to get, to break, you know, um, Pierce Brosnan's concentration a lot. And so in this scene, when Brosnan is choking on the shrimp, Williams kept making sexually suggestive comments to him. Yeah, that, that tracks. I could see that. <laughs> Yeah, but so anyway, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, thankfully he does the right thing. He's like, I don't want this guy to die. And so he does run, lunges over. (laughs) Yeah, because he's, yeah, as Mrs. Doubtfire, he's with uh, the station boss and he stands up and says, help is on the way, dear. (laughs) And then just- They're not like, they're not like, why are you over there? (laughs) No, no, it's all happening way too fast. No, so um, Daniel gives Stu the Heimlich and then it causes Daniel's mask though to fall off. So everyone sees that it is Daniel. And I think Sally, this is where Sally Field really shined in yes. this scene. Her reaction and her facial expressions are so amazing in this part. Yeah, I wrote down that it, her reaction was just like perfection because it felt very genuine and and real yeah it was a brilliant performance because you can see in her eyes she's realizing all of the moments yeah. that she thought she was talking to mrs doubtfire she was talking <laughs> to daniel because she goes oh god oh god the whole time the whole time the whole time yeah and then, <laughs> yeah. And so then I, good. I love how she's like i have to go we have to go i have to leave now we have to leave now and she just storms out I mean think about how you would react and I think a lot of people that's how you're just like what 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 is happening yeah and you're in a very public place and you're just like I need to get out of here I need to take myself out of this situation um but I do like how Stu gets up and he just goes he like does a little pound on his chest and then he shakes um Daniel's hand and he's like thank you and then walks away yeah that was funny (laughs) uh I want to know so if you okay if you were in this restaurant, if this mm-hmm. happened in real life and you were mm-hmm. one of those diners and you saw this happen, what would you think? What would you, how would you react? And you're, cause he's like, show's over guys. And just everyone's like staring at him. I'd be like, I'm coming back to this place next week. <laughs> <laughs> this place is a hoot. This is Bridges. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a good question. I don't know what the hell. I think I I'd be like that. somebody that family has issues (laughs) well yeah for sure but don't who doesn't I mean yeah it's true 
Okay. So then we get to the ending. At this point, the judge has given sole custody to, of the kids, sorry, to Miranda. And so Daniel, you know, he tries to give this very heartwarming speech about not seeing his kids. And I think this is where we see like why he did what he did. And I believed it. Like he says, living without or not being able to see the kids every day is like living without air and he can't live without air and he can't live without seeing his kids but the judge deems that it's an act and he needs to be put through psychological testing and supervised visitation and you can also see Miranda in the scene grappling with this and like second guessing yeah by the way if you watch her attorney's face during the courtroom scenes Mm -hmm. she looks like a real piece of work (laughs) (laughs) I did she seems real proud of herself yeah I know she did seem very smug very smug so then Daniel does like I said get the role on tv as Mrs. Doubtfire so I guess it at least that worked out (laughs) yeah for it um and then Miranda visits the studio to talk to Daniel because they've seen him on TV at this point. So she says they've been watching him every day. She says, you know, goes into the speech about how she realizes like they'll be okay. She and Daniel will be okay after the, di- after the divorce, but she doesn't want to hurt her kids. And Daniel goes, well, do you want me to pretend everything's all right and put on a happy face? And I kind of like, I don't know if I take issue with this part, but I feel like Miranda's being very forgiving in this moment when she doesn't have to be after what, you know, she experienced and Daniel doesn't seem very apologetic at all for what he did. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way. I think she's so forgiving because she saw what we saw in the courtroom scene which yeah. was, you know, that, that very desperate plea. And she knows, I think she knows him and knows his heart and knows mm-hmm. how much he loves the kids and, and how much the kids love him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, and I think he's just too, I mean, she, he says at one point you ripped my heart out. Um, yeah. So I think he's in too much pain um, to be apologetic. Um, yeah. Which yeah, sure is a, is a flaw but also I think again like watching this through um a, a child's eyes when we were you know all watching this when we were younger you're not really thinking about like wow what he did is actually really fucked up and creepy and whatever yeah um mm-hmm. like I don't think it was supposed to be this big betrayal um anyway if if I may this scene is so my favorite scene is is the mrs selner visit and that whole fiasco but this is definitely like my my close second because it is such an example of one of those things that makes robin williams one of the best actors entertainers that's ever lived Mm -hmm. his ability to go from i mean over the top comedy and every sense of the word comedy to so raw and emotional um and and dramatic and sincere is just astounding mm-hmm. to me and he does it in one fucking scene and he does it so well and so truthfully that i don't think it like 
messes with the tone of the movie or you know pulls you out of it you're suddenly Mm -hmm. like you're realizing how high the stakes are and just how painful Mm -hmm. it's been for everyone oh my god I fucking love that scene and just watching him in it yeah he's I do too yeah I think I mean Robin Williams is obviously very comedic but if you look at his body of work he's done a range of things and you know he's done goodwill hunting he did the awakenings like i mentioned um bicentennial man isn't really that comedic um when you watch it and so yeah it's he has such a great range and the fact that he's able to pull all of these different emotions especially in this movie i feel like he gets to display a little bit of something that he does really well at in each part you know he can be comedic but then he can also be really serious in this and heartfelt in this scene yeah he just really like covers the whole spectrum mm-hmm. yeah so Miranda ends up saying at the end that the kids were happier when Mrs. Doubtfire was in their lives and she brought out the best in them she brought out the best in you and Daniel said and you too um and so she decides that She's going to bring Daniel back to be with the kids and surprises the kids with, with their dad at the front door. And I really liked how this scene mimics the first time that we see Mrs. Doubtfire. This is when she opens the door instead of Mrs. Doubtfire, it's Daniel as himself, you know, not having to be in a disguise or anything. It's just him. And I liked how that scene mimicked from, from earlier. Yeah. And then, you know, Miranda says she took care of all the court stuff. And so Daniel's going to get to take care of them for a few hours after school. And we finally get to see this family be a family and also learn how to live divorced. And I think, like I said, I've mentioned this already, but the last scene always makes me cry for some reason. So um, Miranda walks over to the TV and sees Mrs. Doubtfire reading a letter from a kid whose parents are going through a divorce and the kid is asking, did I lose my family? And I am going to read this monologue because it is so damn good. It deserves a shine. So Mrs. And I think it also shows how far Daniel has come from the beginning of of the movie. But he says, you know, some parents, when they're angry, they get along much better when they don't live together. They don't fight all the time and they can become better people and much better mummies and daddies for you. And sometimes they get back together and sometimes they don't, dear. And if they don't, don't blame yourself. Just because they don't love each other anymore doesn't mean that they don't love you. There are all sorts of different families, Katie. Some families have one mommy, some families have one daddy or two families. And some children live with their uncle or aunt, some live with their grandparents, and some children live with foster parents, and some live in separate homes, in separate neighborhoods, in different areas of the country, and they may not see each other for days or weeks, months, even years at a time. But if there's love, dear, those are the ties that bind, and you'll have a family in your heart forever. All my love to you, Poppet. You're going to be all right. Bye-bye. so good and and again this is why I say that it was an intentional kind of statement on Mm -hmm. divorce to make these are the last words that we hear 
and it's a lot of words, you know, like it's a, it's a good chunk of, of script, um, really gives it some time and attention and it's just really beautiful. Yeah. I really hope Katie was watching at that exact moment. So she got her answer. How's Katie? Katie, where are you? Are, <laughs> are you okay? Are you well? But, but yeah, like you said, the la- I mean, really the last words are you're going to be all right. And I think that's the big message for mm-hmm. kids, parents, families that go through divorce that, yeah, this is going to be tough, but you're going to be okay. And you're going to make it through and it's okay that this is happening. So we're going to be mm-hmm. okay, guys everyone's going to be fine. This is fine. No, Um, (laughs) this is fine. I'm totally fine. Uh, Okay. So there are a few, obviously noteworthy scenes that happen throughout the movie where, you know, we just want to kind of gush over Robin Williams. So one is where his chest catches on fire. And in this scene, like it's his first day being the housekeeper and it's a disaster. And First of all, there's like way too much going on on the stove when he's trying to make dinner. There's way too many pots and things happening. And so this is where he accidentally like dumps all of the dried basil in the pan and then the, you know, pot of boiling potatoes, he drops that too. And then his bodysuit catches on fire, which is just oh, so good. And then he pounds it out with two. Oh shit. I just knocked <laughs> my mic. Sorry. <laughs> He founds it with two, like, um, what are they called? The lids? Um, yeah, it, lids. lids. I why that was hard for me. To it's a hard word. Out. It's fine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, my first day as a woman, and I'm having hot flashes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then there's also the country club pool scene that I, I mean, there's just so many good parts in here too, where like they're trying to get Mrs. Doubtfire to go swim and obviously he can't because then they'd find out everything. But Mrs. Doubtfire was like, I think they've outlawed whaling. It. <laughs> By the way, if someone says they don't want to swim, they don't want to swim. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't force them. She doesn't want to. Um, she also like throw or Daniel also throws a piece of fruit at Stu's head and calls it a run by fruiting, which just so good. Uh, also improvised. That was an improvised line. <laughs> Um, and then Daniel on the dinosaur show, which also is one of my favorite parts where he pretends to be speaking as the dinosaurs when no one's looking. And so he's got like T-Rex's Elvis, there's James Brown, the brontosaurus, and then the rapping raptors, which is smart. And I wonder if he kind of influenced my love of dinosaurs and subsequently Jurassic Park. I was after I was watching this. So what year was Jurassic Park? Well, Jurassic Park was 1993. Was it? Yeah, was it yeah. the same year? Oh, it did actually. I'm 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 pretty oh, sure because yeah, I think because it... this was the second highest grossing. Yes. yes. Yeah. Just second behind Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah. So good. Maybe. Good year for dinosaurs. I know. Very good. And that's that's it. That's it for me as far as other other scenes with Robin Williams. I mean, he's just amazing. Yeah. He was amazing. And well, and thankfully he can live on through some really yeah. great work. We're lucky to, you know, still get to see him every now and then. Yeah. I'm glad that his spirit is encapsulated in these movies that we get to rewatch. And so it feels like he's still with us. 
Yeah. And, be, and because he gave so much of himself to the public, mm-hmm. he really did. Yeah. Um, and again, I just grateful for that. Ooh, quick, fun story. Um, okay. So when I was in college in New York, um, got some weed from my neighbor. <laughs> and, uh, oh, it's one of those stories. <laughs> and um, real sketch neighbor too. Um, it was a bad idea. And my roommate and I got high. Um, it took like seriously, maybe two hits. Um, there was something else in that, in that oh, batch. Shit. <laughs> um, Cause it fucked me up to the point where I, I mean, things were moving, lights were flashing that weren't actually flashing. I was asking my roommate, when do we call 911? (laughs) It was bad. And for some reason, she had Robin Williams live on Broadway on DVD. And we decided to put that on. And that was the only thing that could calm me down. Wow. So thank you, Robin. You (laughs) prevented me from going to the hospital like a fucking idiot who was just stoned <laughs> also like how you're high and was it i mean robin williams was it's, he his robin williams self he was his robin williams i mean just all and over I love the place how you're high yeah everything about around you you're freaking out but yet he this person yeah. you're watching who is very animated is yes. calming you down i think that speaks a yeah. lot to i think it's, it's just so fucking funny if you haven't watched that, that special i highly recommend it um Oh, I love it. Yeah. Just, just thanks, Robin. Hmm. Thank you. Okay. So we should probably go to our wide flick moments now. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm just going to kick it off with a pretty big one. And I just want to know why the flick couldn't Daniel do all this shit before when he wasn't Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, he, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Cook, you know, he's cooking dinner helping out around the house disciplining the kids I really think that his calling Daniel's calling was to be a stay-at-home dad which isn't like a slight or anything I think he was just really well suited for that kind of job after seeing what he did as Mrs. Doubtfire yeah he seemed to love it like mm-hmm. he, he loved being Mrs. He just Doubtfire. got to spend all day with his kids yeah Okay, well, that goes nicely into one of my why the flicks, which is um, why the flick doesn't Daniel know how to cook for his kids? So <laughs> as the first night as Mrs. Doubtfire, clearly like she, who was Daniel, can't cook. Mm-hmm. Very bad at it. But hasn't he been doing it? Because Miranda's working. So he picks the kids up from school and then takes care of them. So how has he been feeding his children? Oh, I mean, maybe take out like he ended up yeah, ordering every night. Yeah, maybe. Also, he went. Here's another uh, why the flick. Why the flick did did Mrs. Doubtfire on night one go so ambitious with the meal? <laughs> it was like no. a shrimp dish and like the plating. I don't and, know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and also I when he got the takeout, I was like, are they gonna really believe that Mrs. Doubtfire made this food? Because this is like fine dining right. food that got delivered so yeah. and then he had to keep know. that up he just set the bar and, really high yeah and what did you do with the takeout boxes because you can't just put them in the trash did you go to the dumpster with them you know yeah gotta get rid of the evidence good question good question okay so 
my next why the flick is why the flick did Daniel even go to the pool? Like, why did he even go with them to the pool? Yeah, I mean, I the only thing I can say is, you know, Miranda basically begging Mrs. Doubtfire mm. to go to her birthday dinner. Mm-hmm. I think she Miranda got really like, I think, codependent. Um oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um and I can't like, did we see when Mrs. Doubtfire was invited to the pool? I can't remember, but she probably I don't think so. Yeah. Miranda probably pressured so. her mm-hmm. into it. But also like the whole reason Daniel did this is to be around his kids more. So mm, maybe mm. he would jump at any opportunity. I don't know. Mm. Okay. Um, why the flick isn't Stuart having an allergic reaction? So this is kind of a hole to me because the thing is he's choking on shrimp and then it gets the Heimlich. But if the whole thing is that he's allergic to pepper, the Heimlich's not going to do anything for that. Right. (laughs) He would, he would need medical attention. He would need like an EpiPen or something, but he does the Heimlich and then he's totally fine. So, well, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, okay. Yes. So my impression was like, his mouth swell like got swollen because of the pepper and then that's like he tries to inhale and he inhales the shrimp and that's how the shrimp gets stuck in his esophagus so then they have to give him the Heimlich for that now after that I don't know why he I mean maybe seeing the (laughs) the fact that Mrs. Doubtfire was Daniel all along shook the allergy right out (laughs) of him I don't know but like a yeah allergic reaction buzzkill yeah yeah like it, it does it would make sense that he like maybe his throat is swelling or something and then he chokes on the shrimp but after that like he he would need some follow-up with the doctor immediately yeah do you think Stu stuck around after that or do you think because they don't see him ever anymore after that or do you think he was like this is too much I don't know I think if if Daniel apologized to him and they talked it out because mm-hmm. like the, the crazy's done well, at least for now, <laughs> like the, that whole charade is done. So hopefully it'll like, everyone's learned their lesson. We're communicating more. Yeah. So maybe it won't be so crazy going forward. Well, and also he gave himself away because he says, sorry about the shrimp or sorry about the pepper or something to stew. No. <laughs> because otherwise Stu wouldn't well, really have known it was him. Then he might be going to the police department <laughs> to <laughs> have charges filed <laughs> as he should. Um, okay. So speaking of, i also a Stu one. Why the flick didn't, and this is my last one. Why the flick didn't Mrs. Doubtfire tell Stu what to order for him when he went to the bathroom? Because the whole thing is that he is over talking to Mr. Lundy and they, they have to wait to order dinner because of Mrs. Doubtfire. She's not there. And so I feel like instead of making all of these sexual innuendos to stew, you could have been like, hey, um, can you just tell him to order me this? And I'm going to go to the bathroom again. And then maybe things would have been worked out a little bit better. I think that's far too rational for Daniel. <laughs> and Daniel needed an itinerary of like, steps that he was like to yes, fully a plan. make the success a success yeah and be like at this point in time this is when I'm going to do this I'm going to do this for I mean it's a terrible plan like I said but if you're going to do it 
organize your time slots and go easy on the on the drinks on the liquor yeah do you just you can just tell mr lundy i pass you know yeah kids it's okay to say no yeah just say no just say no uh did you have any other why the flicks um yeah but we kind of talked about it which is why the flicks we ever have smoking sections inside Mm -hmm restaurants so gross um i read that um minnesota was the first state to limit smoking in most public spaces and that was in 75 and then by the by the 90s and 2000s um more and more states followed suit wasn't it a law was it a federal law or just i think it's it's state by state okay yeah yeah i remember when the state law happened in indiana and i was like finally <sighs> I saw, yeah and I saw like um I didn't read the whole thing closely but basically someone making an argument that we've limited spaces for smoke for smokers too much and like no get out of here get out of here get out of here <laughs> I don't care if you want to go outside but don't smoke inside a yeah. building that's yeah, rude go outside yeah go outside to support pollute your, the air your habits <laughs> yes yeah. And then be the asshole that you are and throw your cigarette butt on the ground. Ugh. I see you people. Yeah. The earth needs to be cleaned. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Well, we'll go into how many flicks do we give? So this actually uh, just as some context. So the movie had a lot of mixed reviews when it first came out. Um, Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars. Yeah. He wasn't a big fan. Yeah. And so, but it won a Golden Globe for best musical or comedy. And then Williams also won um, a Golden Globe for best comedy actor in it. And then I think from that point, what it, it really did have a resurgence once it went to TV and video, because that's really where I was introduced yeah. to it. So it definitely got better and more loved over the years but as far as ratings go now on imdb it has a seven out of ten and then on rotten tomatoes it's similar it's 72 percent from critics and 70 77 percent from audiences which i was like what no yo yeah (laughs) what is wrong with i mean yeah unless if it was like down to 50 and over the years you know maybe more people added positive reviews to try even get it up to 77%, but I'm going to, I'm going to do that immediately. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, what are you all smoking? Um, I don't know a classic when it hits you in the face. Right. Personally, Mm -hmm. I love this movie so much of one of my favorite acting credits from Robin Williams. And this is an instance where I'm glad that Chris Columbus let Williams do what he does best. And we got to see that magic uh, come to life on screen. And, you know, I could watch this movie again and again and again and always be like, I was watching it the other night. I've seen it many times, but I'm still laughing and like gasping and and shocked by it. Oh, it's so good. And I think I love it even more so now in the context of the culture of America at the time and how divorce was very much shunned. But in the midst of all of that, this movie and audiences said that no divorce is okay. So you know what? 
I'm going to give this a five out of five because okay, it's my birthday. <laughs> I'm feeling generous and fuck all those 70% people on Rotten Tomatoes. Amen. Okay. So obviously I love this movie too. I think it's classic Robin Williams. I'm also still LOLing every time I watch it. Um, I was going to give this movie 4.5 flicks, but I'm now raising that to 4.9 because of purely because of Rumpel Foreskin. (laughs) I somehow missed that in all the viewings and God damn, that's just funny. (laughs) Do you think you'd be willing to give an extra 0.5 because it's my birthday? Wait, 0.5. We're going to, that's all right. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) 0.1. No, look, Claire, I'm my own person. (laughs) I respect that. I respect it. Also, I gave you the gift of bang me in the chest. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that was lovely. And my stoned Robin Williams story. Those, those were your, um, your, I love them so much. Thank you. (laughs) Those are your birthday gifts. So yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, 4.9 out of five flicks. Yeah. I just keep going back to the 70% and being very appalled, but the, uh, the fact that we've given these, this movie a hundred percent and basically 99% makes me feel better. We're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Elizabeth, do you want to tell the listeners what our next movie is going to be? Yes. Our next movie, it's a little different from the movies that I typically pick. I know. Uh, we're going to talk about Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. I think that was 2019 that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, not usually like my go-to type of movie, um, but I love Joaquin Phoenix and I love that movie. I've only seen it once and it's it's been, I guess, a couple of years since I watched it. Um, but I thought, I just, I just, I guess, spoiler <laughs> I loved it. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to watch it again, um, and look at it critically and look at like what I think worked really well and why. Um, so that'll be fun. So we have the movie own the movie, but I still have not seen the movie. Oh, nice. So this will be my first time watching. You're welcome. Cause now now your investment will pay off. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. So I think that's it. That's a wrap on Doubtfire. Thank you all for listening. Make sure that you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever else is out there. Um, give us a rating if you can. Follow us on social media at Why the Flick on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Let us know what you think about this movie and any of our other episodes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.